0: Hi guys welcome back i'm bryn i'm kelsey and this is crime Colts and coffee in so we, case you didn't know <laughs> yes you're here welcome so we wanted to start off by talking about um something that my co-worker texted me she's one of our listeners she sent a few cases in her name is Alyssa, but i guess she was listening to like previous episodes mm-hmm. and she texted me and she was like i'm listening to the haunted places episode about the devil's tree oh god and i was like Okay, So I'm just going to read word for word what she said, because I was like, what the fuck? Okay, cool. It says, okay, so I was listening to one of the Haunted Places podcasts, and it was talking about the Devil's Tree. Funny story, my sister visited there, when and when she was there, there were also some teenage boys who were hitting slash kicking the tree and taking bark from it. Not good, boys, not good. God, it's called a Devil's Tree for a reason. Uh, my sister and her friend didn't go near the tree, but when they went to leave, they noticed dark shadows near the tree. When they tried to start the car, it wouldn't start, even though it was a brand new battery. When it finally started, they couldn't get their GPS working. The entire ride home, the car was acting weird and their phones would glitch. Mm. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, that's scary as fuck. She was like, and I was like, I'm going to mention it on the podcast. She's like, yeah, that's fine. She also kept having bad luck afterwards, like a tire being blown, her phone suddenly breaking, and that happened until we did sage and sprinkled holy water, and then it finally stopped. As was mentioned in the episode, that's creepy that you know directly someone who has a connection to it. And she was like, and she didn't even do anything, she was just like, happened to be there when people were disrespecting the tree.
1: So what happened to the boys that were disrespecting the tree? I'm guessing
0: a lot worse. (laughs)
1: Because that's terrifying. Like, trying to leave and then the GPS not working, that's scary that's and fun. bad luck stuff happening. Yeah. And, which, actually, that's really strange that you brought this up this episode because the coffee place that we're talking about today, we talked about last in that episode.
0: Really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my
1: God. <laughs> Everything's connected. Weird.
0: <laughs> but, Speaking uh, of our coffee... You want to talk about it?
1: Should we get into that or do we... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We'll do that first. We'll talk about this first. So speaking of our coffee, today we are reviewing Apocalypse Coffee Roasters again. Yay! Yay, Apocalypse. We love you. We spoke about them. We did our whole shebang, episode 40, and that was part one with our medium, Laura Cifaldi. Yes. And then we spoke about them again in episode 43, which was our Haunted Places 4 episode, which included the Devil's tray Right. And
0: for anybody that's new here, I just wanted to mention that we have coffees from different coffee places that send us, you know, to review the coffees and we talk about them on our podcast. But sometimes... Coffee places are generous enough to send us not one or two, but, like, three bags of coffee. So if you hear from them multiple dot times, it's because they sent us multiple different coffees. We're not reviewing the same coffee. Yeah. not. I mean, I feel like that's pretty well known, but I just wanted to throw it out there. Yeah, it's a different bag of coffee. Yes, same place, different bag. Yeah,
1: and that's why it's really important as well when we mention what episode their big spiel was in to go back and listen to that because we do that as... Thank you to them. And that's the recognition that they get
0: for, you know, having their coffee on this episode. And we want to talk about their business as well.
1: Yeah. And that's the least we can do. I mean, we can do so much more. We want to visit and plan to visit them in person to express how grateful we are because we are so grateful. Yes. But if you want to check out their Instagram, it's Apocalypse Coffee Roasters. And their website is ApocalypseCoffee.com. And do you want to talk about today's coffee? Yes,
0: yeah, so today's coffee is called The Bomb. Ooh, the Bomb. Yes, and some notes in this coffee are smooth dark chocolate and vanilla. Yum. Yeah. And
1: we've mentioned before you have to check out their website even if you're not going to buy coffee,
0: which buy coffee yes
1: uh their graphics are so fucking cool (laughs) they are
0: they're really cool I mean I don't I love all their bags yeah same same yeah this coffee is a medium roast did you mention that already
1: no I did not and we love
0: our medium roast yes we do so for this one immediately I don't smell really the notes which I don't think you're supposed to but um I immediately taste the dark chocolate mm-hmm. um, and a little bit of vanilla, but the the dark chocolate is, is at the end for me, and it's kind of like the bittersweet last, like, taste that you have on your tongue.
1: Yeah, I agree. I definitely tasted, like, a hint of the vanilla at first, mm-hmm. and then more so the dark chocolate, especially towards the end of the sip. Yeah. And I it's would good, rate though. this, I think, a 6.757.
0: Yeah, I'll give this one a 7. It's a good coffee.
1: It is good. It's, I feel like the notes aren't heavy, but it's still different from your, uh, like, typical plain, not plain, but
0: non-flavored
1: or non-noted
0: coffee. Coffee, Right. (laughs) Yes. It is a good, it's a good one to add up in there as, like, a switch up, Mm -hmm. change up from your normal coffees.
1: Definitely. So, thank you, Apocalypse Coffee Roasters. We appreciate you.
0: We're so grateful for you and your company. Thank you so much. Check them out. Look at their website. Look at their Instagram and buy their fucking coffee.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> you ready to get started? Yeah, sorry. I'm swallowing. <laughs> <laughs> so, so grab, grab your, your coffee, coffee and have a morning,
1: morning with, with us. us.
0: All right, guys. So before we get into today's episode, we did just want to talk about something really quickly. Um just because mainly this episode does have a lot of names that we're probably not gonna say a hundred percent correctly um, there's a lot of Russian names and I spent like an hour trying to find out the correct pronunciations for every single name um, but of course we're only human yeah <laughs> we're not gonna say them all right We
1: try our absolute best and we've said that from episode one if you're a listener that and especially in the episodes where, names are culturally different or places are different, Yeah, we've made it clear that we want nothing but to be respectful and considerate on our podcast, and we appreciate every culture, every race, every background, yeah. and never are we trying to pronounce something or say something incorrectly. On purpose or
0: as disrespect, yeah. Yeah. We would never do that. And, you know, if something happens where we do mispronounce something and we laugh at each other, it's because we're awkward as fuck.
1: We literally (sighs) laugh or make a joke to cover up how uncomfortable we feel or to make fun of ourselves yes which also we've said from day one on this podcast
0: yes and I think most of the listeners are appreciative of how respectful we are I mean we've gotten feedback saying that yeah so we do appreciate that feedback and we also appreciate constructive criticism Mm -hmm. there's we don't have any problem with constructive criticism if you come to us and let us you know be able to fix it
1: yeah, I feel like sometimes people don't approach things the way they should. Yeah. And we've experienced listeners who have a- approached it in the completely correct way and they were so respectful and we took it in and we learned from it and we grew from it. And changed. Yeah, and I feel like there's also been people who have approached it in a not
0: great not
1: great way. Mm-hmm. And I feel like as a human, you're going to make mistakes and we try our fucking best on this podcast to be as respectful and considerate to everyone as possible. Yeah. Except for, obviously, the awful people out there. Yeah. But um, I think that a lot of the time with this age of cancel culture, people don't... Like, instead of giving someone constructive feedback in a mature way where people can grow from it... They automatically attack you or shut you down.
0: Assuming and no, that... nothing's going to change from that. Right. Like, who is that helping but making both parties sort of angry? Yeah. Um, you know, just... I feel like if you approach it in a good way, we have no problem. For example, the first couple episodes where we sucked at <laughs> saying I'm um in like... Yeah. My brother came to me and said, fix it or I'm not going to listen anymore. <laughs> And while it was a little rude, he told me, and we fixed
1: it. And we also had one other person approach it, and we responded, and they were like, "Wow, I didn't even expect you to answer this." And we're yeah. like, "No, of course we're going to answer this, and yeah. we're going to take it in, and we're going to try our best to be on top of that." And then we were aware of it
0: from that moment on, right? And if you know, if there's something that said that you feel like, "Wow, that was a little harsh or a little little harmful." tell us. Yeah. We will fix it. We will take it out. We will apologize for it publicly. But like, you know, we don't know if some things are hurtful unless it's brought to our attention or if it's said in the wrong way.
1: Yeah. Or misinterpreted. Because sometimes, too, like on the podcast, we do go back and listen and we do try to edit things if we're like, wow, I didn't, in the moment, quite word that right. right. Yeah. Yeah. But sometimes we don't catch everything or we don't Especially if we're, like, making fun of ourselves or something, we don't see how maybe it could be twisted into some other way. Right. So, yeah, we just wanted to acknowledge that nothing we ever say or when we laugh about things uh, after we say something and maybe pronounce it the wrong way also languages change over time so there's different pronunciations for different things and we may come from part of a country where it's pronounced one way right and then in another part of the country it's pronounced something completely different or over the
0: years it has changed pronunciation right and some people say it you know a certain way and some people say it a certain other way right which is fine with the change of language yeah right
1: ultimately we're never coming from a place of disrespect and we just want everyone to know that especially people Of different cultures that are listening to us because we respect your culture and we want to know, we want to learn and we want to know everything we can about your culture. Right. And
0: do it appropriately. Right. And that's why, especially today, we wanted to bring it to the attention and to everyone's attention before we start because we really, really tried this episode. We wanted to cover this case and we tried to make all the pronunciations known. Mm -hmm. So we're going to try our best, but we are not Russian.
1: Yeah, and if we butcher some things, just know it's not intentional. Yes. We're, yeah, we're doing our damn our damnedest here, okay?
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Alright, so with that being said... Let's get let's started. Let's get started. So, today's episode, we are covering the Dyatlov Pass incident, as it is known. I have never heard of this. I... I've heard of like a tiny bit of it just the happening of it but never the details or anything yeah I've never
0: heard of it yeah
1: and this was actually suggested by our listener Shelby thank you Shelby So thank you Shelby I know you're listening girl <laughs> <laughs> so we're gonna talk a little bit about the background at first this event happened between February 1st and 2nd 1959 it took place on whole lot Siakl in the northern Ural Mountains. The Ural Mountains, or Urals, are, quote, a mountain range that runs approximately from north to south through western Russia, from the coast of the Arctic Ocean to the river Ural, and northwestern Kazakhstan. And that's a quote from Wiki. It forms part of the conventional boundary between the regions of Europe and Asia. And Holot Siakl is a mountain within that range, and it's, quote, transliter- transliteration in Russian of Holachel means dead mountain. And that was also a quote from Wiki. It was named this because it means, quote-unquote, lack of game for Monsi hunters who were... Like uh, hunting
0: game at that point. Yeah, in that area. Like, what a coincidence, though, that that's what the mountain was called. Dead mountain. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's kind of eerie. So, moving on to
1: 1959 a group formed for a skiing expedition across the northern Urals in Sverdlovsk Oblast, Soviet Union. It was led by Igor Dyatlov, a 23-year-old radio engineering student at the Ural Polytechnical Institute, now called Ural Federal University. And there were nine others in this group. Most were fellow students and peers at the university. The group had eight men and two women total. Each member was an experienced grade two hiker with ski tour experience and would be receiving grade three certification upon their return. So at the time this certification was actually the highest available in the Soviet Union And it required candidates to travel 300 kilometers or
0: 190 miles. So they were like top-notch skiers. Like they knew what they were doing. experienced as hell. For how young they are, too, that's, you know, crazy. Yeah. That's awesome. That's incredible.
1: So the route the group was supposed to take would reach the far northern regions of Sverdlovsk, Oblast, and the upper streams of the Lazva River. The goal was to reach a torton a mountain 10 kilometers or 6.2 miles north of the site where the incident occurred that we're going to get into yes this was a 16-day itinerary aimed to cover 190 miles Holy so they could shit. get their cert That's yeah. crazy and this route was approved by the spiered city route commission they confirmed the group of 10 people on january 8th
0: 1959 Just so you know, if you hear some gunshots in the background, it's because somebody decided to do target practice at 730 at night, and if we close the window, we will literally suffocate.
1: Yeah, it's a sauna, as mentioned, previous
0: episode. Woo! (laughs) But we're here. But today is a hot one. (laughs) (laughs) All right, moving on to January 23rd of 1959, the Dyatlov Group was issued their route book. They were to follow the number five trail. Remember, this was pre-approved, so they mm-hmm. had all their itinerary and everything ready. They were also approved for 11 people at the time of the issuing. The 11th person was Semyon Zolotirayov, previously certified to go with another expedition of similar difficulty, um, which was the Sogrin Expedition Group. Um, Simeon did join the group, but only 10 people ended up being in the trekking group at the end, like before they ended up going on the hike. Mm-hmm. It was unsure the name of the person that was supposed to be there, like that 11th person, but um, wasn't. Yeah. But, um yeah, so there only, only ended up being, like, 10 people that went on the trek. Um So now I'm going to list the members of the Dyatlov group. And there's a lot of them. We're going to try to give some background information on each of them, you know, what we could find. So the first one, as we had mentioned was Igor Aleksevich Dyatlov, and he was born January 13th of 1936. He was 23 years old and a fifth year radio engineering student. student. I
1: feel like when I read about these people and their majors and what they were going to school for and everything, on top of their certifications they had at such a young age, I was blown away cuz I'm like how do you have the time to do all this when you're an engineer?
0: I know, America's slacking. No. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but like seriously, I don't know how they kept up with all of it. Yeah. Um, the next person is Yuri Nikolaevich uh, Durashenka. And his birthday was January 29th of 1938. He was 21 years old. Wow. Studying power economics. Good for him. And the next uh, crew member was Ludmila Alejandrovna, Alejandrovna Dubina and her birthday was May 12th, 1938 she was 20 years old and the youngest of the group and I thought this was cute so I added it in not cute but you know a distinguishing thing yeah. she wore her hair in long blonde braids tied back with silk ribbons Aww. yeah so she was like known for having her hair like that I guess and she's like
1: tracking with silk ribbons in her hair I know Aww. so
0: regal. Um, she was also a track athlete and economics major. Wow. These people are awesome. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the next person is Grigory or Yuri uh, Aluhievich Krevon Yashenka. And his birthday was February 7th, 1935. He was 23 years old and also an engineering student. He played the mandolin and loved telling jokes. Aww. This is like Carson. This would be Carson's best friend. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, he's so good. <laughs> Carson, there's a band that Carson loves called Mandolin Orange, Aww. and they play um, the mandolin, obviously. Aww. And he's a jokester, so he would love it. Carson would be playing the banjo next to him, right? Okay, so the next one is Alexander Sergievich Kulivatov. His birthday was November 16th of 1934. He was 24 years old, and he was studying nuclear physics. Oh, baby. I know. Wow. Goddamn. The next person,
1: I love her name so much. Me too. <laughs> I kind of want it. Me too. Her name was Zenaida Alexivna Kulma-Gorbana. But I love Zenaida. I I love that. That's so pretty. It's beautiful. She was born January 12, 1937. She was 22 years old, and she was described as, quote, outgoing, energetic, and one of the university's most popular students. And she was actually once Doroshenko's girlfriend and was nervous to go on the trip with him. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. The next person's name was Rustem Vladirmovich Slabodin. He was born January eleventh, nineteen thirty-six. He was twenty three years old and an engineering student. Then we have Nikolai Vladimirovich Tybo Brig Inels. And he was born July 5th, 1935. He was 23 years old and also an engineering student. Damn. Mm-hmm. We also have Yuri Yefimovich Yudin. He was born July 19th, 1937. He was 21 years old,
0: studying economics. We did a case with somebody with the last name already, Yefimovich. I can't remember who it was. Maybe it was in the Rasputin. Rasputin, maybe,
1: possibly, because that was Russia. Yeah,
0: I think it was, because I think that was, like... I don't know, but we've said the name of before. that or it
1: could have also been Natalie Woods because they were Russia. She was Russian. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, one of those two. Yeah. Sorry I'm swinging back and forth. The light's going on mm-hmm. and off. We're really struggling here. <laughs> 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 Alright, so then the last person that I'm going to mention was Simeon Alexander, they they called him, mm-hmm. Alexevich Zilaterov. And he was born February 2nd, 1921. He was 38 years old. He was actually a veteran of the Second World War and a sports instructor. So he was a little older than everyone else there. Yeah. He had old an old-fashioned mustache, stainless steel crowns on his teeth, and tattoos. So he's also fucking cool.
0: Nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, his mustache had, like, little curls, curls. at the end. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: So the Dyatlov group... Left the Sverdlovsk city, which is today known as Yekaterinburg, on January 23rd, which was the same day they received the root book,
0: or so they route book. They were pumped, pumped to, to go. Yes. Yeah. All right. So now you know the background and everybody's names, which I hope we said right. I hope um, so. <laughs> and we really tried. We really did. Um, now we're on to the group's trek. So. On January twenty fifth of nineteen fifty nine, early in the morning, they arrived by a train at Ivdel, which was a town in the center of northern province of Sverdlovsk Oblast, and it was a remote town with a Stalin era prison camp, which was mainly used for like criminals at the time. So it was very remote, like it was very out there. Yeah, and that's where they arrived by train. They then took a truck. And I heard that it was, like, um, like they literally just rode in the back of, like, a farmer's truck almost. Wow. Yeah. To uh, Vizhay. And this was a village that it, uh, the last inhabited settlement um, to the north. Sp- they spent the night here in an abandoned lodging camp. And they ate loaves of bread to keep their energy levels up for hiking for the next day.
1: Oof, I feel like the bread, the gluten would slow me down. I know, but I want that must be a thing. Carbohydrates is
0: good. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> well, they obviously knew what they were doing too, so yeah. I trust it. So no, they now were storing. On, I'm up. eating loaves of bread before I go hiking. They were
0: storing up for their, you know, their carbs yeah. and everything. Wow. So now on to January twenty seventh, nineteen fifty nine. They began their trek towards Gara Atorten. January 28th of 1959. The member of the group that we mentioned earlier, Yuri Yudin, he actually turned back because of his knees uh, and joints were having some pain. Mm -hmm. Some articles said that he pulled out because of sciatica flare-up. So something happened with, you know, either sciatica or his joint pain. Mm -hmm. Um, And he decided to go back he actually suffered from health ailments, including rheumatism and congenital heart defect. Wow.
1: That's incredible that he was as an experienced athlete With as he With all the was. joint issues. Yeah. And, yeah.
0: Wow. Um, so at that point, there were nine hikers and they continued on to the trek. Now on to January 31st of 1959. The group arrived at the edge of Hi- the Highland area and prepared for climbing. This, I don't know why it just gave me anxiety reading it. I'm, like, scared of hiking in winter weather.
1: Really? Yeah, I
0: don't know. I, I would be, like, terrified.
1: I mean, I would think, I'm picturing, too, I've never been to Russia, but just the, I'm just picturing endless, Vast. endless, endless snow no. and it being so cold. Like, you, they really had to have been experienced to do what they were doing,
0: 190 miles worth of that? Yeah, no. I That scares the crap out of me. Um, So, February 1st of 1959, they began to move through this pass. They planned to get over the pass and make camp for the night on the opposite side. Weather conditions worsened, like snowstorms, and due to this, they seemed to lose direction and actually went west, which was towards the top of Holat Seattle. Mm-hmm. So... They got all turned around in the snowstorm and started going the wrong direction. Their vision was probably also, like, blurred. If,
1: if, yeah, if the snowstorm was that bad, you're seeing, like, white in do? front of you. It's like, yeah. how do you even... That's terrifying. Know. So, of course, they realized they made a mistake and they ended up setting up camp. They were on the slope of the mountain and if they moved 1.5 kilometers or .93 miles downhill... There would have been a forested area, which would have given them shelter from the weather, but how were they to know it. that. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. they were all turned around, too. They probably didn't even know exactly where they were at. Right, all completely off of the map that they had. Yeah. So there were diaries and cameras found at the campsite, and this helped to track the group's route up to the day before the incident happened. There were also letters they had sent their loved ones that helped... As well, to put everything together with their travels. Yeah. So, on to when they went missing. Surprised they went missing. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. Dyatlov had said that he would send a telegram to their sports club when the group got back to Vizhay. And he thought the latest would be February 12th, but Yuri Yudin, remember this is the man who went back early due to health issues... Said that Dyatlov told him it could be longer, and February 12th passed with nothing from the group. Oh. Yeah. There was no immediate reaction since there could be delays by a few days. Like, this was expected with experienced hikers like that who were doing a trip that big. They were like, oh, like, they might be off by a couple days. Maybe they had to stop for a longer period of time or whatnot. Right. By February 20th, 1959, relatives demanded a rescue operation. The head of the Ural Polytechnical Institute sent rescue groups made up of volunteer students and teachers, and the Army oh, I'm sorry. The army and Soviet Union police forces later became involved. Planes and helicopters also looked for the missing group.
0: So they were doing everything they could to yeah. find them. Yeah, and it's hard, too, because, like, You know, obviously, if it wasn't, like, this big hiking trek in the middle of winter and they didn't, you know, assume, oh, it could be late by a couple days, maybe the rescue could have happened sooner. Mm -hmm. You know, from the 12th to the 20th, nothing really happened. Yeah,
1: and with weather being that cold, that's a long time to go. Yeah, so February 26th, 26th, I can't talk right now, 1959, searchers found the group's tent on Holot Seattle. It was abandoned and very damaged. Mikhail Sheravin, which was a student who found the tent, said, quote, The tent was half torn down and covered with snow. It was empty and all the group's belongings and shoes had been left behind. And that was a quote from Wikipedia. Oh. The tent was cut open from the inside seemingly with a knife. So they're like, that's kind of strange. Yeah, right off the bat. Yeah. Inside the tent, everything looked very orderly. There were boots, axes, and other equipment set to the side. There was food laid out as if it was about to be eaten, and a stack of wood was there as well for the stove. There was also a flask of vodka, a map, and a plate of salo, which is white pork fat. And I had read that someone took... I don't know how accurate this is, so take it with a grain of salt, but it was in a couple articles, so I'm assuming accurate... Um, someone took the flask that had vodka in it, and it may have actually been the person who found them, uh, and they brought it and, like, made a toast to them later on that the
0: group would be found safe oh. with their vodka. Oh, God. Yeah. Wow. So, as they were searching, they found nine sets of footprints leading down to the edges of the woods on the opposite side of the pass. Now, remember we said earlier when they pitched their tent, they were only 1.5 kilometers or 0.93 miles um, away from where they were, and that was to the northeast. So they ended up going and finding these footprints leading up to this wooded area. Mm -hmm. After 500 meters or 1,600 feet, the tracks were covered with snow and couldn't be followed any further. The footprints were all either barefoot, walking in socks, or a single shoe. Ugh. And just a side note, it was noted to be at least negative 20 degrees Celsius outside at this point whenever they were doing this hike. So for them to be either barefoot or in socks, I can't even imagine. Like, clearly it was a
1: rush of some sort. Why else? And their experience, they... They probably were thinking as they were running out, "Oh my God, this isn't good! Like I'm not. I can only survive this, this, this long without or without frostbite on my feet."
0: You know, they. Well, they knew. It was determined that the prints were of people walking, but they were somehow able to tell that they weren't running. Mm. I guess by the way the like imprint the was, or yeah, yeah, like I don't know, like I the don't.
1: swiftness of them. Yeah.
0: So, they may have been in a hurry, but they may not have been, which is also very confusing.
1: Yeah, because you would think, too, slicing open a tent from the inside. You're running from yeah. something. Yeah. Weird.
0: The edge of the... At the edge of the forest, the searchers found remains of a small fire, and this was under a Siberian pine tree. They found two bodies under this tree. Um, one body was of Krivonshenkia and Duroshenka. Durashenka. And both had no shoes on, and they were only in their underwear when they found them. They were both to, believed to have died from hypothermia naturally. It's just so strange because they were so experienced. They Why would they be there by a fire in their underwear? It just doesn't make any sense for how experienced they were. Yeah. I don't know.
1: They would have known how long they could survive without the proper clothing on, and they would have packed... Like, they would have had the proper clothing on. Even if you're going to sleep at night, let's say in a normal situation, you're like, oh, I'm going to sleep in my tent in my underwear. It's negative 20 degrees Celsius out. I don't think they would, like, why would they even be in their underwear?
0: I don't know. This is even weirder. Um, Krivon Yushenka had reportedly bitten off a piece of his own knuckle. I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute, but just keep that in your mind. Hmm. 12 to 15 feet up the tree, there were noted to be some broken branches that were recently broken, and there were bits of skin and torn clothing on the bark of the tree, higher up. Mm. An autopsy found that Kravon Yushenka had black fingers, third degree burn on a shin and foot, and inside of his mouth was a piece of flesh that was bitten off from his right hand. So that was the knuckle that I talked about earlier. That's so strange. Like, why? I don't understand any logic behind
1: this. And, I mean, if you're... Okay, so if there were broken branches 12 to 15 feet up the tree, one can assume either... They fell. Either they were climbing to see where they were at, or if they got disoriented from camp where camp was, right? And then, yeah, fell. Right. Or let's say there was an avalanche or something like that, you're running for higher
0: ground, but why would he have a piece of a finger in his mouth? I don't know. Like, maybe he was starving, but I don't know. Insanity? I don't know. They weren't even gone that long, though, at this point. Yeah,
1: that's so strange.
0: Durashanka's body had burned hair on one side and had a charred sock. Bruises and scratches were found all over these two bodies. It just doesn't make any sense to me.
1: why they were burned, too.
0: Yeah. Between the pine tree and the camp, three more bodies were found. They were found at 300, 480, and 630 meters, which was 980, 1570, and 2,070 feet from the tree. Dyatlov, Kulmogorovna, and Slabodin. These were the three bodies that were found, and this is a Wikipedia quote. Died in poses suggested that they were attempting to return to the tent.
1: So the basically heck? they
0: got that because their fists were clenched and they were turned towards like they were all turned towards the tent. Like
1: they were walking towards. Yeah.
0: Them.
1: So strange. I know. Like, this thing what is was all going so on? So strange.
0: I just want to know what was going on and yeah. what went through their heads. The cause of death was also believed to be hypothermia for those three people that I had just mentioned. Slabodin and had a small crack in his skull. But it wasn't fatal, so that was just something that was noted after the fact. Hmm. He was better dressed than the others as well. And this is a BBC article quote. Quote, wore a long sleeve undershirt and a sweater, two pairs of trousers, four pairs of socks, and one felt boot on his right foot. His watch had stopped at 8.45. Which I also is eerie as uh. hell. Like, Why?
1: This is such a strange one. I don't know. And he was in that much clothing. Yeah.
0: But didn't have one shoe on. I know. Doesn't make any sense. Uh, had a long, bright red bruise on the right side of her torso, and this is another BBC article quote, quote, which looked as if it was made by a baton, like a police baton. Or like a stick or something. Yeah. It's just their injuries are so strange. And
1: the, and the information surrounding it, like what they were in and where they were and the positions they were in. Yeah. And I don't know. So weird. So it took more than two months to find the remaining four people. May 4th, 1959, they were found under four meters or 13 feet of snow. Wow. Yeah. They were in a ravine 75 meters or 246 feet feet further from the pine tree they were found at the bottom of a creek in a running stream of water so i'm assuming this snow was piled like right by the water three of the four had more suitable clothing on for the weather conditions there were signs that some clothing had been removed from those who died first and used by those still surviving so they took off the. who knows how long they were there though if like, for those people to die and then you're taking that- those clothes off and adding it on to yourself to stay if warm. If it was hypothermia, though, it may have been really quick. I don't know. But how would you have the time, then, to take off the clothes? I don't know. So, Dubin Nina was wearing Kravon Yushenka's burned, torn trousers. Her left foot and shin were wrapped in a torn jacket. So, she must have, like, cut it or something. Yeah. The supposed cause of death, Dubinyena had internal bleeding from severe chest trauma. Kuli Vitov apparently died from hypothermia. Brig had a fatal skull injury and pieces of his skull were in his brain. So it was like a traumatic. Severe. Yeah. Yeah. And Zila Turov had
0: severe chest trauma. None of this makes any sense to me, and it's, like, honestly one of the craziest um, stories I think that we have covered, and that there is no, I mean, you'll hear about what the theories are, but none
1: of them make any sense to me. Yeah. Like, fully. Yeah. Yeah. So, released documents contain no information about the condition of any of the group's internal organs, which I feel like is a super important thing to know. Yeah. With the type of trauma they had. Yeah. I don't know. So moving on to the investigation, immediately after the first five people were found, a legal inquest started. Those found to have injuries outside of hypothermia were described as follows by Boris Vazraz Denny, and this is a quote from Wikipedia, quote, the force required to cause such damage would have been extremely high, comparable to that of a car crash. Notably, the bodies had no external wounds associated with the bone fractures, as if they had been subjected to a high level of pressure. (laughs) That doesn't make any sense. No. Not at all. So the victims had died six to eight hours after their last meal, and allegedly some
0: levels of radiation were found on one victim's clothing. That part threw me over the top. I was like, any theory that I was thinking... Like, like, where's that coming yeah, from now? like,
1: what? Yeah. The four bodies found in May had soft tissue damage to their head and face. This is where it gets even weirder. Yeah. Dubin Yina was missing her tongue, both her eyes, part of her lips, facial tissue, and a fragment of skull bone. Zilla Turov's eyeballs were missing, and Kuli Vitov's eyebrows were missing. Like, what? And... Part of me was like, okay, I kind of agree with this next part. I'm going to just read the next I part agree before too. I say it. Yeah. So, VA Vazraz, Vazraz Denny, which was the forensic expert that did the post mortem exam, thought that this could have happened from being in the stream. Yes.
0: Some of it. Yes, yeah, some of it. Like, the I, that's why I said I kind of agree. I can get the decomposition. But, like, but why is she missing her tongue and her eyeballs? I why is don't he missing his know. eyeballs? I don't know. We'll talk a little bit more about that. Fish? I added something later, maybe. But her
1: tongue. I know, like why are these specific parts? It's just so strange.
0: So now we're gonna get on to the many theories of what happened to this group of hikers. An initial thought was that the indigenous Monzi people, which were local reindeer herders, and it had attacked and murdered the group going onto their land. So they basically said. They crossed over a line, they got into our land, and the, they murdered them, which that's a theory. People were interrogated. Deaths slash evidence did not support this, and this was eventually ruled out. Footprints were only the, th- the hikers. There was no sign of a hand-to-hand struggle. The fatal injuries on the three hikers could not have been caused by humans, and there was no indications of other people nearby on lot Seattle besides the nine hikers. So like we mentioned, like I read somewhere too, the snow doesn't lie. Like if mm-hmm. there was footprints, it's very, very hard to cover up those tracks no matter what you do because there's still sign of like movement. Mm-hmm. So that was ruled out. Mm-hmm. Another theory was that there was animal attacks, which maybe, but it doesn't add up with the injuries. No.
1: Not like, why all would there not
0: be external wounds and then... Like, scratches and gashes and stuff. Yeah. yeah that doesn't... No. The, n- <laughs> the next theory was that Yeti attacked them or the Abominable Snowman. So, that's one. Um, another theory was catabatic winds were the cause of this. And it honestly... I read into it. It makes a little bit of sense. Um... As far as how the winds could have moved the snow, yeah. potentially. Yeah. But I don't know about the whole, the whole cause of everything being because of wind. Yeah. I, I don't know. know. That's... Another theory was an avalanche, a hurricane, infrasound-created panic, nuclear weapons testing, which scares the shit out of me.
1: Yeah.
0: Paradoxical undressing photo flash bomb dropped by the u.s biplane i want to know how these all came to be i know paranormal or alien related incident which well, i don't know why but that was like high up on my list who knows i mean who knows right it's
1: it's so odd and unexplained that it's like maybe that would what explain it would, yeah, yeah.
0: Around 75 different theories have emerged surrounding this case. Insane. I know. And I think with things that are so unknown, people create theories. And yes, like, you have to create theories Mm -hmm. to, like, think about everything. But 75. Holy crap.
1: But also, I feel like not a single one
0: that I read... Made sense. Fully
1: makes sense.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, May 1959... The inquest officially ceased because there was no guilty party. Files were sent to a secret archive. Official conclusion in 1959, the group had died because of, quote, a compelling natural force. Which is very fucking broad. Yeah. Like a compelling, what? the uh, par- uh, aliens could be
1: part of that right. natural force. They're natural. Abominable, abominable, I can't say the word, abominable of <laughs> Whatever the the, the yeti, yeti yeah, the yeti <laughs> is natural. Yeah, I don't know. Like that, that could be incorporated that into any of that. literally covered everything. Yeah.
0: Um, the director of the UPI and chairman of two workers' unions were then fired. Wow. Yeah, the investigative files, photographs, and journals were classified, and the area around Dead Mountain was off limits to the public for like many years after this happened. Mm-hmm. The tent was kept initially, but it started getting moldy, so they threw it out. Wow, really? Really? Like, you couldn't
1: pr- keep this blow dry it. Yeah, you couldn't keep this done. Du- like, you couldn't do this better or put it... Yeah, put it in something where you can just dry it. Fucking air dry Take it. Take the mold off. Scrape the mold off. God. That's rude. That's... People's
0: lives depended around that partially. It just... I... Yeah. I It blows my mind when people throw evidence away on cases I know, that are I still, hate like, that. questionable. And because it was moldy? Like, come on.
1: Come on. Is that why the director of UPI and chairman
0: of two workers' unions were fired? He threw it out? <laughs> they threw out the moldy tent. No, I don't know. I think that they were trying to, like, blame anybody that could have been at fault yeah. and put the blame on somebody. So they fired a bunch of random people is what, basically, the article said
1: my god that were
0: obviously not an indirect fault of anything no and that
1: like does not help solve what happened to these people but okay so in more recent times in 1990 the prosecutor ivanov who retired published an article saying that while he complied with the 1959 report he was pressured not to include his views on what happened which i could see that yeah An article was titled, The Enigma of the Fireballs, stating the group was killed by heat rays or balls of fire associated with UFOs. Mm, I don't think so. (laughs) I don't know about that. When Ivanov saw the scene, he said there were trees with unusual burn marks which, quote, confirmed that some kind of heat ray, say, or powerful force whose nature is completely unknown, to use, at least, acted selectively on specific objects, which doesn't even really make sense to me. Honestly, I did not follow (laughs) those man's words, (laughs) but okay. The last photo of (laughs) of Kravon Yushenka's camera showed flares and streaks of light against a black background. So
0: maybe that's where Ivanov got that from? I don't know. Okay, but... That could have been anything. That could have been the fire. I randomly take pictures on my
1: phone, and I don't know where the fuck they came from, and there's, like, blurs of my feet and stuff. Yeah, it could have been them lighting a
0: fire. Yeah. And he accidentally took a- It's the fireballs! (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, what's his name? Uh, Pitbull came in singing Fireball. And fucking doing his air hump. I
1: hate him. Don't even, don't even talk about him. She hates pitfall. That's her celebrity hate. (laughs) Oh my god, my main celebrity hate. So, in 1999, the Dyatlov Foundation was founded in Yekaterinburg with the help of Ural State Technical University. It was led by Yuri Kuntsevich, and the foundation's goal is to continue investigation of the case and to maintain... The Diet Love Museum to preserve the memory of the dead hikers, which is so beautiful. Yeah. I think. April 27th, 2013, Yuri Yudin. Remember, he was the sole survivor of the, the expedition group. He was the one who left Turned early. Back, yeah. Mm-hmm. He sadly died. He was 75 years old, and before he died, he said the deaths were not natural, and he believed that his teammates had been taken from the tent at gunpoint and murdered. So that was his belief. Mm. Which, I I don't... Who knows? See, like, it could
0: have, but then the whole footprint thing gets me right, again. Right, like, why weren't they running? Right, and yeah. why didn't... Why weren't there any other signs of any other footprints but the nine hikers? Yeah. He said that Dubini...
1: Dubin Yina may have had her tongue cut out because she was the most outspoken of the group. Which, which gave me the fucking chills. Ugh, yeah, I don't like that. In 2015, the investigative committee of the Russian sorry, Russian Federation, the ICRF, reopened the investigation, and in 2019, they came to the conclusion that an avalanche was most likely what occurred. Side note, there was no avalanche debris reported by the rescue team. The thorax and skull injuries were not typical for avalanche victims. So, again, there's... Things don't make sense. In 2019, the Office of the Prosecutor General of the Russian Federation challenged this conclusion and started its own investigation.
0: And this reopened the investigation 60 years later. Mm. What? Yeah. So now we're on to July 2020. 2020. They came to the same avalanche conclusion that the ICRF concluded. Um, There was a whole scientific study of topography and wind patterns compared to the location of the tent. And it's like maybe 20 pages long and it would have taken probably two hours to read it all. Um, But if you'd like to go in a little bit more depth on the scientific studies that were done, there's mathematical equations and everything Um, backing up the avalanche, you know, theory, and why they concluded that. Mm -hmm. Um, So we had that in our link, uh, but, you know, I didn't think that would be very exciting to talk about.
1: Well, plus, we only have a limited amount of time to do this podcast in. If we had a podcast specifically dedicated to this incident... We would
0: have 100% went into that theory. (laughs) Yes, yeah. But we don't, you know, we don't have that time in a a weekly episode. Yeah. One study basically came to the conclusion that a rare type of snow slab instability could have caused the incident. Hmm. Fun fact to go along with this conclusion. This is a quote. The researchers unraveled the final piece of the puzzle. The hikers unexplained injuries with the help of surprising source, Disney 2013 film Frozen, according to the National Geographic... Guam was so impressed by the movie's depiction of snow that he asked its creators to share their animation code with him. The simulation tool coupled with the data from cadaver tests conducted by General Motors in the 1970s to determine what happened to the human body when struck at different speeds enabled the pair to show that heavy books of solid blocks of solid snow could have landed on the hikers as they slept crushing their bod their bones and causing injuries not typically associated with avalanche. What? And yeah. that was a quote from the Smithsonian magazine article from twenty twenty one. So literally from the From year. Frozen. Yeah. They use that is so cool to me. Yeah. They use the animation code
1: To to come up with,
0: like, replications of what could have happened. Because they said the snow, like, the depiction of the snow looked so so real. Yeah. What? Yeah. Wow. So, props to Disney for helping out with that. That's really cool. Yeah. It was then thought that the less injured could have dragged the injured out of the tent, which... But then you would have seen drag drag marks. marks. I know. That's what I keep going back to. Jim McElwain, geohazards expert at Durham University in England said that the research, quote, doesn't explain why these people, after being hit by an avalanche, ran off without their clothes into the snow. Thank you, Jim. I agree.
1: Yeah, I concur, Jim.
0: And that's where we're at. I think this is, like, one of the most interesting cases that we've covered because of how, like, the mystery behind it. Yeah. And, like, you want to know what these people went through and what happened to them.
1: Yeah. And, as mentioned, we wish we could go on more and more and more about it, but there's literally so many details with this
0: case, we would have to have a whole podcast on it. And we would love for, like we've mentioned in the past, podcasting podcasting to be our full-time job. Yeah. But we're not at that point.
1: Yeah. And... But if anyone is interested into diving deeper, especially on the information regarding it, as well as background info on each hiker, mm-hmm. there's tons of information on the hikers themselves. Um, I'm going to include an article on our res- in our resources on Facebook as usual and in our show notes. It's actually a website made for this. Like, it's the diatlovpass.com, And it's all resources regarding this whole incident and this whole situation and there's there's
0: pictures of letters they wrote and yeah, their diaries yeah and, yeah. yeah so wow. check it out if you want a little deeper dive from what we covered um but yeah yeah that's the dyatlov pass let us know what you think yeah. i
1: be i'd be interested to see what our listeners think about this one because i
0: have no fucking idea my i don't know Thank you, Shelby, for suggesting this. Yeah, thank you. It really makes you, like, question what really happened.
1: Yeah. I feel so sorry for them, too. I actually read that um, Igor, the guy who formed mm-hmm. the group, his mom was asking him not to go. Oh, no. And to just focus on his, like, thesis or something instead. And he was like, this will be my last big trip. trip. This will be my last big one. And sadly, this happened and their families were left with absolutely no answers. Yeah.
0: That's
1: and six years later, they
0: most likely died with absolutely no answers. So it's just terrible. My God, I can't even imagine. I can't yeah. even imagine. That's crazy. Yeah, I feel like, honestly, what happened was a combination of things. It wasn't one of the theories. It was a combination of them. Yeah. For different people. Yeah.
1: Yeah like possibly going insane from how cold or whatever and
0: yeah realizing that knows. they were potentially gonna die yeah
1: i don't know it's just so sad and they were so experienced mm-hmm. makes me like 100 percent sure i would never do something like that because i don't know the slightest bit of what those people knew and
0: they didn't we're survive, on a like, cruise and carson is trying to get me to snorkel and i refuse Ooh. I can't. I don't
1: know. It's an experience. I would say, and it's it's an experience, but not. If you're not gonna have fun with it, if you're gonna be terrified, I will. it's not an
0: experience. I will. Then don't do it. And I told him that. I'm, I'm like, you're gonna do it. I know, me too. I have boob sweat. Oh, <sighs> <laughs> God! I just told her. I said we should do hot yoga up here. For I feel right like I've lost like ten pounds of water weight <laughs> just sitting here yeah. with this episode. I know. But again, as we mentioned, it's gonna be winter, and then we're gonna be complaining about how freezing we are. Mm-hmm. So, so you'll just always hear us
1: bitching and moaning.
0: <laughs> That's what our podcast should be: bitching bitchin and moaning, bitching and moan- moaning, bitchin and moanin In with, the moaning with Kelsey. B. <laughs> don't know why, but that sounds like such a Pittsburgh thing. Grab your coffee and
1: have a moaning with us.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Bitch and moan. <laughs> I think we're delirious.
1: Yeah. Alright. Do we have anything else we want to add? Mmm. There's probably still no progress on the shirt. (laughs) Since last week. Help. Uh, Help. Um. yeah. Yeah. We're trying guys and girls. We're trying. We are trying. Yeah. You know what? I'm making it my goal. By the time you hear this episode come out. We'll have an idea. We'll have, yes, we'll have an idea. We won't have the shirts, but we'll have an idea. <laughs> but we'll have some of our other merch out yes. for you. Yep. So go and Probably check it out. Probably before you get
0: this episode out. Yeah, go and check it out. We'll yeah. do it this week. Yeah,
1: we'll do it this week. Yeah. Goal. And
0: that's about it. Make goals for the week, people.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Leave us a rate and review if you don't mind.
0: Yes. Uh, Give us constructive criticism.
1: Nicely. Nicely. Like even if it isn't even if the constructive criticism isn't nice like it's like something we need to fix or change just don't attack us. Yeah, just don't attack us. We're mature adults here. We can all talk about it. We can it. have a conversation. We can take it in. We can we can see each other's sides. Around. Yeah. 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 All, all right.
0: right. <laughs> so have a good week. See ya.
1: Bye.